And I think as we look at the Advent movement, as we look at Israel and history, God absolutely used those people to do unbelievable things to change the world. But don't think that he's satisfied with just the status quo. He will never let a movement drag his message down. Mm. And uh, I <laughs> I just want to be careful how I share that because I can get pretty passionate about it. I, I do believe God called up the Advent movement and I do believe he's calling it to something greater than it is. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's satisfied with the current condition should be very alarmed that where this story ends is not where the Advent movement is. That should give encouragement to anyone that sees the ugliness in what we believe is the remnant church. I don't know about you, but the church I want to belong to never quite measures up to the church I'm actually a part of. The truth is, we don't often have to look hard to find something to criticize when it comes to God's professed people. Historically, when the church has been in power, it has behaved in a way that shares little in common with the man Jesus they claim to follow. Right motives can easily be manipulated into wrong actions when an end justifies the means philosophical ethic rules the day. Now more than ever, Christians and non-Christians alike should be distrustful of power and any man or woman seeking it for their own glory. It has been said that one's ambition for power automatically disqualifies him from the office that he seeks. If that were true in the past, it is doubly true today. It is only by the grace of God that the political and financial house of cards that we've been living on since the internet age began hasn't crumbled down to the floor already. Therefore, why in light of all this should we trust a man-made religious organization? Would it surprise you to know that God never asked us to? Would it also surprise you to know he never meant the clergy alone to be ministers, but that all members were to stand equally before one another and God alike? In fact, the Bible is clear in the book of James that God considers partiality a sin. So then if it is a sin with us, it would also be a sin with God as well. And God is no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of those who consecrate themselves to him. He does respect those who answer his call and come boldly to the throne of grace for mercy in their time of need. God never meant for us to put our trust in another man. That is why he gave us the Bible. And if men and women were reading their Bibles with faith, believing that God was their interpreter, they would discover for themselves the true identifying marks of the remnant church, and it wouldn't be hard at all. Yet if this is true, then why do people have such a hard time with the concept of the true church or remnant church the Bible speaks about? And in what ways could a revival and remnant identity bring unity to the church today and ultimately help us to be ready for Jesus? To answer these questions and more, I invited Jared Thurman, a man of many talents, pastor, businessman, and entrepreneur to the podcast today to discuss his own spiritual journey with remnant theology and what he has done to speak up for a reality check to the church's repeated tendency to pat itself on the back and say to the world, what a great job it has done helping it. Well, Jared, man, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for the opportunity. 
Yeah. And so obviously we're all uh, in the same boat right now, kind of navigating through this post-COVID world. And uh, so I'm just curious, before we get started, what kind of projects are you currently involved in or looking forward to right now, given this disruption that we're all dealing with? Great question. Um, So my wife and I, we live, our new little girl, she's one, we live on a few acres in the out in the countryside and um so we've had lots of animals having animals so we're full of lots of cats and little chicks right now around the place but we've got alpacas and miniature donkeys turkeys chickens ducks you know the whole thing so the farm is keeping us busy so that's been uh definitely something at the top of the list as everything's blooming and blossoming to trim the fruit trees and get the blueberries ready but uh, as far as like uh, a project i'm pretty excited about uh we've been working on this uh, series. It'll be an online web series, 10 parts called Love and War. And it's basically a chronological account of the battle between good and evil that for me, that helped me connect so many dots when I started to understand the sequence more than, you know, scripture's not written chronologically. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like, when is this happening in the story? So that's something I'm really excited about. It'll be it's kind of our church's uh, like an outreach project that we've been working on for about a year. So we're super excited to see that come out in about a month. And that's been absorbing a lot of our time. I can imagine. So you're creating all the content from scratch and your church is involved with, uh, you know, in, involved in the whole project. In essence, this is a, an outreach to your your local area. Local and really the church is really supportive because we're not near a, a large population the church has been real supportive of, hey, let's just get the message out there far and wide. So uh, we, we're really going to target it really broadly. I'm even hoping, I mean, it's kind of a wild idea. I don't even talk about what religion this thing is until like the fourth episode. So I'm using terms for paradise that are from Arabic and other languages. So it's going to be very accessible to a lot of people. I've found that if we don't make the message of scripture accessible, it can feel very exclusive. So anyway, I'm really stoked about it. Thanks for letting me. Yeah, no, I'd love to know more about like where, where can people, is there like a website or, or, or a Facebook page or something that people can connect in anticipation of, of that, um, of that series? Yeah, we'll, we'll get it set up here pretty soon and people will find ways to access it. It'll be free to watch. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I definitely want to keep, this uh, post updated with that information once it becomes available uh, for those of you who will be listening to this uh, podcast sometime in June. Yeah, so I was just kind of um, interested in, in before we get uh, kind of deeper into our conversation, but I want to know a little bit more about some of your background. I know you kind of grew up in the church and... Um, you kind of, uh, anyone who does sees the good and the bad the church has to offer. Um, but uh, later in life, you you kind of felt a call into ministry. So kind of share a little bit about your journey. Um, I could tell even in, in what you were just sharing about your outreach that, that that must have, there must be a connection to your journey in this interest in what you're doing right now with your church. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a house where my parents were entrepreneurs and always hustling to do the next thing. Uh, they, they became uh, Adventists around the age of 18, 19. My dad kind of grew up in and around the Adventist church, but uh, it wasn't 
wasn't too real for him until he met my mom. And then uh, a few years later, they had my sister and I. And yeah, I just grew up in a house where it was just always on, always go, go, go. And so I just had this passion growing up, like, man, having your own business, you can control your schedule. Like that is, that is the ultimate thing in life. Uh, my parents were very supportive of church. They let out in a lot of youth programs. So I got to be in and around the church growing up. But I probably took it a little bit for granted, and I didn't really internalize a lot of things. So I may have professed to believe something, but I didn't necessarily know why I really believed that. Um, so when I graduated uh, from college, I uh, found a big project. I, I thought, hey, this is a huge opportunity, make a lot of money. Moved a few states away. I'd just gotten married, and I wouldn't recommend that part of it. But uh, randomly, I had a friend who invited me to go to India to preach for three weeks. Mm. And I thought, well, that sounds like adventure. And, you know, I was just kind of on a track in life of, hey, make a lot of money and give some back to the church and all is well. And when I went to India, it's like everything changed. I got really sick. They thought I had leprosy. I was with lepers in India. Mm. And when I came home, that I had not told the doctor that. And he literally said, I think you have leprosy. I'm like, oh my word, I was with lepers. This is so crazy. So... Um, it ended up not being that, but I was sick for a long time. My dad ended up getting sick. My dad ended up, uh, losing his life in a car accident and through all that tragedy and, you know, feeling just a call away from doing business as I always had done. I really, yeah, saw a calling into ministry and just sharing with people because life is so short. And, and so, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. I've, I've kind of veered back towards business in the last few years because I just love it. And I think it's such a valuable way to reach people that might not necessarily show up in church because through our business activity, we can actually influence people with principles that they don't see in the, in the world, especially the business world, which is really war. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so yeah, I, I love now to, to still have that entrepreneurial spirit, but try and apply it into the world of soul winning and really making a difference in people's lives where they feel value. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> so last year you kind of preached a sermon called, uh, the church I want to belong to is terrible. And, uh, that created a little bit of buzz in the church. And, uh, and so tell me a little bit about what was going on through your mind when you wrote it and, and kind of how have people responded to it or how did people respond to it after, after you preached it? That's a great question. Yeah, that was probably, um, that was one of the high points of my life. Um, it was overwhelmingly positive except for a couple individuals that were in leadership that thought I was talking directly and only about them. And I was not. So the gist of the sermon was basically I fell in love with the title because it totally described the nuance. So I'm not sure everybody got it, but it was basically using that King James Version word in Song of Solomon about the church being fair as the moon, Mm -hmm. clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. Using the old school way of terrible, which is awesome, amazing. but I did use the way to contrast it with how it's used mostly today, which is not good. And I mean, Travis, to be totally candid, the church is in desperate need of repenting and apologizing 
and I, I would include any and all denominations in that, for letting humanity down for not doing what is what is right. And so I, I went into that feeling like for years I had attended uh, that conference is called ASI and I'd attended others. And I just felt like, man, Lord, if I ever got the opportunity to share here, like I'd want to just share like what I feel like needs to be shared with all of us, which is stop acting like we're so great. Stop patting ourselves on the back. And again, I don't think that applies to any one denomination, but in the, in the context of that, I was applying it to my own, mm -hmm. which is the longest living people in the world with such a rich history, with such an understanding of, of so many things. And if the world doesn't really know what we know, we probably owe it to them or have owed it to them to tell them. So yeah, it was, it was a heavy sermon, hard, hard to share, really. It was one of the hardest things I've ever put together, but I felt at peace sharing it and the I'm, I'm hoping there's, there's been continued self-reflection. I've heard a lot of people reach out to me personally with appreciation and thanks. So I feel like it was confirmation that God gave me the sermon and it wasn't just something I randomly pulled out of the air because I was having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it was something that, that needed to be said and maybe it had to be said um, in that type of a setting and it needed, because the church is in need of healing right now. And, um, and I think a lot of that comes back to what you were just kind of hinting at is just our loss of identity, our loss of mission, our loss of focus on, on why we really exist and what we're really here to do. And just going back to what you said about, you know, people just seeing the church, um, as a eighth or ninth on the list to help them solve a problem. And then, you know, you look around and, and I'm not here to talk politics, but you, you obviously saw that the most of the country basically views the church as non-essential and uh, the way that, uh, you know, the, the description for, for what could stay and not stay open during the, the COVID crisis. And, you know, the church didn't really have much to argue with because uh, we've allowed ourselves to be kind of sidelined um, in in most of day-to-day -day life with um, mm -hmm. the world we live in. And so I think your sermon kind of hit on a nerve of the remnant identity that's always been hard for our church to navigate. So um, how have you personally been able to come to peace with the tension between the already and the not yet aspects of that claim. I mean, there's some things that are that we can definitely point to biblically and say yes, and then there's some other things we can biblically point to and say no way. So, so how have you personally come to peace with that? Yeah, great question. I would say the remnant as described in Revelation if we just took it at face value of a remnant is the remainder of the original. And if we go back to the original, we say, all right, let's talk about that community that Jesus and his apostles and all the rest of the disciples around them, this group of people in the, I don't know, let's say hundreds, they were pretty tight knit. Whatever that was, I think that's what God wants because that's what Jesus was doing. So you lose that for thousands of years. And then you have Adventism rise on the scene and say, hey, we got to call people back to that. Like everything they were, call them all back. I'm not sure, you know, what is it? Uh, uh, John Robinson, who was saying to the people boarding the Mayflower, hey, don't think we just came out of such anti-Christian darkness and that we've been revealed all the light. Like never stop looking for new light. So 
I would say the remnant, the best definition and the healthiest one we should get to is the remnant looks like the original. And until someone is in a faith community, because we can't just say this is an isolated thing, right? a faith community that looks like the original, you really can't claim that. Even though a denomination may say, hey, that's us. Uh, let's be careful. God's people, when Jesus arrived, also said, we're God's people. And he starts to blow away the paradigm that says, well, let me explain. This is who Abraham's seed is. And it can include a lot larger group than just people who go by a professed name. So, man, I don't know. I, I think it's it's a time, especially now more than ever. God, I think, is looking for the genuine and all the titles and all the names. Just, it's sometimes healthier to just strip them all away and say, let me judge a man by, by the fruit. Mm. And the fruit for me, like I'll just tell you on a personal note, the greatest fruit in a person's life is kindness. Uh, it's easy to be kind in a low stress situation, but you really see kindness in a crisis moment. You also see patience in a crisis moment. But you know, I, I, we can profess everything under the sun. But you know, getting into Corinthians, like you can profess everything, but if you don't have love, which love, I think, is honestly a washed down term. I use kindness. Like kindness is a proactive thing. If Travis is kind to his members who he doesn't have to be kind to, or maybe he doesn't want to be kind to, but for some reason he is, and it's consistent. Like to me, that's the evidence. God and, and, the, and the Spirit are working in a person's life, and, and the rest of it is just fluff, and I honestly don't have any time for it. So I <laughs> hope that's a nice way to describe it. <laughs> no, I think that's exactly the, um, the sentiment that, that many... Um, Christians and especially just the idea of from from a, a non-religious or a uh, kind of a, a lack of, of biblical knowledge background would would come to to this idea that someone could claim hey we're this special group of people and and yet like you said lacking some of those basic principles of, of humanity that I think everyone wants and desires and 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 expects, um, and, uh, and if they're not seeing that in the church, um, you know, what else could we offer them that would, would attract them? And, and so I think this kind of gets back to, I think this, this idea today, I think one of the reasons why the remnant, um, theology is, is hard, um, is because of this connection to oppression, right? That, that people have with, any kind of claim to um, superiority, right? There's there's pride connected to it, and, and like you were just saying, they, they you can point easily to the Jews' rejection of Jesus as they as proof that that a remnant mindset can can oftentimes um, really cause people to to separate themselves from humanity. So so how do we? I guess the question, and and this is just from your point of view, how do we overcome that challenge while still being true to our prophetic identity you know how how do you, how do you think we do that all right <laughs> i think god is calling people into a movement and if any system or denomination is not moving we should question if god is calling us into that and uh i just pulled up what may arguably be my favorite quote but you know i think the idea of being proud of being the remnant or in the remnant Mm -hmm. You've already missed the, you've already missed the train, right? Like it should, pride should never come in. It should be duty. 
Mm. And at, at the end of the race, boy, we can be prideful. Man, that was great. Ah, so exciting. We got to be a part of that. But, it, but in the meantime, I don't know why more don't look at it as duty. And to me, duty says this, you know, it's that book, Desire of Ages. It says, one may profess faith in the truth, but if it does not make them sincere, kind, patient, forbearing, heavenly minded, it is a curse to its possessors. And through their influence, it is a curse to the world. So who's the remnant? It's the kindest people on earth. And if we don't see them or we don't quickly identify ourselves with them or our spouses or friends or siblings say, yeah, kindest guy you'll ever meet, then we need to quickly say, we are not the remnant. Mm. The remnant are these people following Jesus wherever he goes and acting like him. And I'm a big believer. Man, the, the works have to follow the profession. Right. Because that's what the world's so desperately in need of. Like, don't tell me you're something that you're not. And in America right now, you just have this polarizing thing of, if you say now I'm a Christian, 100 years ago, it's like, oh man, you must be honest. Today it's, you must be dishonest. Like whether it's media or, or fact and reality, that is no longer a claim that anyone puts a lot of weight to. So I'm just back to, uh, if that man says he's a Christian, first I want to ask his wife, hey, is he like the best husband ever? Hey, is she like the best wife ever? Are your kids the most amazing ever? Because they all just love each other and they're kind of, oh man, that guy runs a church and uh, his head, el- head elder stole a $50,000, but he visits him in jail and he loves his head elder. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, what is the actual fruit of this profession? And if, if people that disagree with us entirely can't recognize it, maybe it's not us. Mm. And I know that's crazy to say, but I just think we need to ask those very hard questions. No, it is. I think it's important um, to to, and I've struggled with this myself um, over the years, uh, trying to 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 make heads or tails of of this particular um, doctrine. And and yes, it's 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 biblical, um, but just like you were saying, um, it it's not connected to a. Uh, organization necessarily it's it's connected by characteristics and uh yep. and and that's what the bible uses to describe the remnant in terms of like you were saying their their character their actions their faith um and and there is some level of uh, a time when when the remnant would you know uh you know according to bible prophecy kind of come on the scene again quote quote unquote but as mm-hmm. far as you know when that actually happens it's 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 all we know is that sometime after the judgment begins and we've been talking about this in my podcast um you know basically around 1844 and then we know that in as far as the bible is concerned there is no time between 1844 and the second coming so all we know is that sometime in that period the remnant shows up <laughs> And uh, mm-hmm. and they go and they preach the gospel to the world. Uh, we just happen to be stuck, uh, at least biblically, on the time frames. Uh, we haven't moved much forward since 1844. So for our point of view, it's like, man, we've been here 175 years and nothing's really changed. Um, but uh, I think I think God is going to do something special. I mean, when you when you think back to that pre 1844 movement. It was it was a group of Christians from all different backgrounds that came together under kind of that that one uh, solidary uh, 
I, understanding and, and excitement of the soon coming of Jesus, and and all the differences were kind of put aside, but the focus was on Christ and 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 living for Him. Yeah, I I think you're right, and I think again it's going to be identified by a group of people looking forward to the second coming, and I think that's where you're going to ask a lot of people now who've gotten pretty comfortable, and it's like, hey, what if the Lord's coming in I don't know seven years from now? Right. You're going to find a lot of people disappointed. Like what? I've saved, I've saved nine hundred grand for retirement. I retire in five years. What do you mean? Uh, yep, that's the litmus test right there. And so I think it's a total paradigm shift. I think God is still going to call. I mean, look at the message in Revelation of God calling people out of confusion. It's like I believe He's not done with that. He's still going to call people out. And unfortunately, right now in America, specifically America, Christianity is is a country club. Mm-hmm. Uh, you pick your day to go to church Saturday or Sunday, but it's still, Hey, your friends are there. Your kids hang out. You eat after church, man. This is, this is living. This is unlike any time in history when it was what it was like to be a Christian. So I think you turn up the heat and let's just apply it in our own context. This will probably be some of my sermon I'm preaching this weekend at my church, <laughs> which is, uh, Seventh-day Adventists believe a time is coming when governmental powers tell you about how you worship. And if anybody wants to put that off in the distance, just look at the last 10, 12 weeks of our life. The government told you how to worship and you obeyed them. And guess what? I was at the first of the line. Yes, sir, government. We will not go to church and worship together. Mm-hmm. I, I've been curious, Travis, of how long would that have to go to Christians who are like, isn't there a mandate that we're supposed to worship together and fellowship together? Now, by the way, I respect all the reasons and rationale that has been proclaimed. My point of it all is, God has not forgotten about his remnant of people. And, and if I put my Adventist cap on for a second, so let me do that for one second, because I do pastor a Seventh-day Adventist church, like you do. Um, my Adventist cap says, well, then why become an Adventist? If the remnant is just this bigger, broader thing, why join the 501c3 based in Maryland? And my answer to that would be, because when God does something, he draws people together to do it together. So no one is an isolated island. Because islands have pastors that become so successful, which we have some that could be this, and have their own jets, and have their own mansions, and that would be the detriment of their own soul. So God loves people so much that he's like, hey, be together in this. And that's why we worship together. That's why in 1863, I think they were arguing about, no, God doesn't want us to consolidate. That's the enemy's method. And it's like today, you know what? It's nice to be a part of people that think alike, believe alike, and we can we can have this experience as we grow into the remnant of prophecy together. But, uh, but the danger is for anyone to think the remnant is a government organization recognized based on tax status. Because my question is, if that tax status disappeared or it becomes illegal to be called a this, that, or the other, did the remnant disappear of prophecy? And it's like, we would say no. So I think I think we have to be balanced in this to not say, yeah, the remnant is out there and we're still looking for it versus Adventism is only the remnant. You know, there's a beautiful balance. God is always working in and through people. And we have to just, I think, keep that in mind and never limit what God is doing while also considering the principles by which he moves people through the prophetic timeline. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads to kind of another interesting question that I— I'm curious what you would say about just generally speaking, when when you are sharing this concept with someone for the first time, for instance, uh, 
uh, maybe someone coming from a different faith background, or maybe somebody who is just new to the Bible altogether. Um, when this topic comes up, when it comes to saying, hey, join my church, you know, this is our mission, and we see that, you know, right here in, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, and Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, you know, it says, uh, it defines who, who the remnant are, and this is who we are, and we want you to join us in this great mission. And, and, um, and so, you know, you, there's a lot of, I mean, I, I feel comfortable saying that most, most of the time, but at the same time, I also realize, man, when they come and see the reality of the situation, it's, it's kind of sad. <laughs> so, hmm. so you see the, the biblical, um, uh, at least for me, and I, I'm just sharing my thought, is the, the biblical mandate is powerful, but, uh, you know, there's, there's the reality of what, what people come into and see. So, so how do you navigate that? Yeah, so I'm I'm a soft sale salesman. Okay, and I I'm kind of along the lines of I'm not even going to try and sell you on something till you're like, hey, I have money, I'd like to buy that from you. It's like ah, then I've done my job. So it's on that note where I would say my my style is is scripture inspired. Is are are you saying all of it? Now let's look at characteristics. Where is God in the in the timeline? Where are we at? What is he looking for? I think you get to the to the statements you just mentioned in Revelation. And it's like, these are his people. If we go to the very end of the story and we say, hey, what do what do God's people look like right as he comes back? Mm-hmm. We start to learn all these beautiful characteristics. I think we call people into that. And then I think the deduction is, well, then why should I join you guys? Well, because we want to be a part of that group. We've organized. There's a, there's a beauty of organization. Heaven blesses order. So for me, it's maybe reversing it, calling people into the remnant and, oh, hey, the Seventh-day Adventist church desires to be that. Mm-hmm. But if, it, if you come in amongst us and you don't see it happening, don't be discouraged that that is not the truth. Be encouraged of the other side of the coin that the dragon is wroth with the woman. <laughs> And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Be encouraged. Yeah, you know what? That's true. There, there's bound to be conflict. So not everyone's going to be a saint because, you know, I just think there that can be a dangerous element to put so much faith in a structure that man has helped build together and that God led in the setting up of, which I think he's in this. That's why I'm a proud Seventh-day Adventist. I, I enjoy this community and and when you when you're really in it and you start to see all the beauties of it, uh, you realize, wow, God has clearly led this. Only it could only be credited with God. But calling people into the remnant, I think, then helps them understand. Even if I meet ugliness, ugly people, mean people, I don't give up on God or His calling into truth, and and I'm not going to be discouraged one way or another. And and I think then the community is who it, it keeps you connected. That's where I think the church. It, as it meets together, that's the value the church provides. Otherwise, you could be a member of the remnant off in the desert, but it's not it's not celebrating all the characteristics that I think the remnant, specifically like Isaiah 58 and things, will be known for just before the end. There's community there. Right. Yeah, and, and I think... Um... I think there is power behind purpose, right? There's power behind, um, you know, knowing... 
that that you are part of something bigger than yourself and and that God is leading like you said I, I mean I agree I don't think I, you know when we're trying to make that sale quote unquote um, I don't know how often I've I've actually done that maybe in an evangelistic sermon or something at one time or another you know I might make a, a strong um, you know call out of out of revelation and say hey you know come and join us but I think now I think if I was preaching you know even to my local congregation I think sometimes we have to re <laughs> reconvert our own people to you know what we're here for what we're about that we're not here just supporting this institution that we're not here just kind of like you said building up our our retirement funds and and uh, you know you know going to country club church every week. I mean that is that is a major uh, stumbling block right now for our, for our own people and it, and it definitely is for those who who come in and among us if the church isn't clear on its purpose and mission. And so I do think that that a true biblical understanding of of remnant could be unifying if it was understood correctly. What do you think? Do you think? Yeah. It, yeah, I think so. I would say uh, something that I had an epiphany of years ago that was both the most exciting and terrifying thing ever, and that was this. God uses people. Mm. Let's look at the positive. God's using the Advent movement. Mm-hmm. And what a blessing. What a blessing to be a part of that. What a blessing when God uses you to do something amazing. But God also uses people. <laughs> yeah. And what I mean by that is, you can be in the right boat. You can be thinking, man, God can't do this without me. And yet God is using you for his purposes because his purposes will win the day. And when you start to realize that, that's a big responsibility on us, Travis. And we can get up in the pulpit every week and we can win souls into his kingdom and lives can be changed. And at the end of our life, as we see some of these tragic stories, men realize whether of their own opinion or others, God used them, but that's about all that happened. They weren't even saved in the end. And I think when we realize that humble tragedy, it's like, my word, what a responsibility to continue to seek the Lord humbly and say, please don't just use me, but use me. I I want to be in this kingdom myself. And I think as we look at the Advent movement, as we look at Israel and history, God absolutely used those people to do unbelievable things to change the world. But don't think that he's satisfied with just the status quo. He will never let a movement drag his message down. Mm. And uh, I <laughs> I just want to be careful how I share that because I can get pretty passionate about it. I, I do believe God called up the Advent movement, and I do believe he's calling it to something greater than it is. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's satisfied with the current condition should be very alarmed that where this story ends is not where the advent movement is that should give encouragement to anyone that sees the ugliness in what we believe is the remnant church you know i I sometimes can justify a little bit the remnant and the remnant church this is the remnant church the end of the day there may be a remnant what what would be it called a religion the remnant faith the remnant movement at the end of the day god's going to pull people out of everywhere they may Mm. not even have time to go through all the system and join this properly established movement but that doesn't negate God set it up. God prophetically told what would happen through it and, and how beautifully, amazingly God has used this movement. 
Uh, anyway, I think I beat that enough. But no, no, I think sense. it's it's important, man. I I don't think I think this is the right um, medium to to discuss that a little bit more, just because you know I look around and uh, you know the statistics don't lie, right? And so we know that um, the North America church is declining, and and I know that second, third generation. Um, you know, just are not coming back to church. So, so even the growth we are having here in this country is is immigrant um, growth for the most part, and you can basically see that all throughout the West. Um, and and so we've become because the the country itself is rich. We've seen tithe continue to grow, and I think that has masked a. Um, like you said, the underbelly side of, of that we're, we're not growing and, and we need to stop patting ourselves on the back. We need to really take a hard look in the mirror. And, um, and, uh, I, I think, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting that you're passionate about it. You're in a kind of unique situation where you're able to call some of that out last year. Um, how, how can we do more of that? You know, I think it's little things like this. I think it's it's acknowledging the reality of the data. It's acknowledging, um, you know, man, it's it's hard because it's so easy to look at all the amazing things, and and you know, we're we're hoping that people who are not lifelong Seventh-day Adventists are listening to this podcast, and I hope that they'll hear some humility in our voices. The Seventh-day Adventist Church can profess so many things. Uh, longest living people like that are not a, a demographic mm-hmm. or a, a not a, an ethnicity. Like We literally know things from Scripture that gives you an abundant life for at least seven to ten years young, longer. That is lightning in a bottle that we owe the world to tell them but we're responsible. We could be proud of that. Yeah. 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 But no, no, that's a duty. Like we got to tell people this, the world is literally dying 10 years too short and of terrible diseases where they've struggled with for 30 years. So I think there's a big sense of, of duty and obligation that God puts on people that he trusts for me. There, you know, there's something I'm pretty passionate about that I would say is one of the key reasons I still identify with the seventh day Adventist church. And that is, I haven't become so high-minded that I thought God stopped leading once Scripture was complete. And what I mean by that is some of those, we'll call them pioneers in the Advent movement, that we believe God was literally speaking to, we've, we've stopped believing that. And we today it's just so easy to fit in and just to agree with everyone. And what does the majority say? I'll believe it. And I think that's one reason that the the church in the West is dying. The church in the West is, it's so, it's not reality. Like, especially in America, I mean, we just borrow to live. Like, you don't even need money anymore. It's just you loan, you spend credit cards. On on all appearances, we just look so great. But if if you get to the heart of the issue, man, God is just, I think he's looking for a humble people that just treat your brother, your sister with respect. Don't, and I'm, I'm going to say some hard things. Don't build, build newer, fancier buildings when you know there's a dire situation of single moms in your county or of kids that can't afford school. Like we, 
there's a point at which you pass where you're just sustaining your reputation more than building up the kingdom of heaven. And I, I believe we've passed that. And I'm, I'm just being someone who I hope I can be straightforward. Um, God won't bless that. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have to be very careful of how far we push that so that in any Adventist church, we should say, are we doing what, what scripture and what God has told us to? And if we ever get to the point where we're like, has he told us to do that? Then we need to really question if God is in it or if it's just a reputation building thing. And let's be honest, as pastors, it's easy for us to get into that thing of numbers and vanity numbers and metrics. And it's like, ah, heaven doesn't count any of that. Heaven counts genuine, kind people. <laughs> yeah, and I think that kind of, you know, leads into um, just kind of what what gives you hope? Um, you know, because there is a lot of things that we can look at. Um, and, and you said we don't live in reality. I think, I think you're right. I think we live in a fantasy world. I think we live in a, a world that we, we have created and, and we've told ourselves this is true. And, and, and it's, and it's not going to be until later and, and hopefully not too late that we realize, you know, that, that we've been building our house on the sand the whole time, like Jesus said, um, mm. what, and when the storms come, it goes away, man, that's a heavy thought. What, <laughs> what gives me hope? I'll answer yeah. that. Yeah. I think when, when Daniel and his friends were being torn away by the Babylonians, there may have been some tears, but I don't think there was fear and shock. I think his mother and father had trained him. Daniel, the day is coming. Don't be shocked when it happens. And when it happens, stand for Jesus. I would tell you the reason I'm a Seventh-day Adventist today is because I believe God spoke through a messenger to this movement long ago who wrote some things down that, um, that helped me understand what the condition of things would be like in the future. So that as they're now happening... Some people are shocked and, oh, I can't believe this. And some people go to church. I can't believe people treat each other like this. For me, it's like, no, but this is all foretold. So for me, it's like, it's like I've seen the end of the story. And so the, the later intermediary chapters that many people are just shocked and freaking out and running away from because they, they just don't know where this story ends and they're scared to death. For me, it's like, I don't know. I've seen the end of the story. I've read it. I believe in the prophetic gift. I think God speaks to people and he's spoken to people. And if you read the end of the story, you're like, oh, every single thing makes sense. I'm not shocked about anything. And because of that, man, you can deal with crisis. Mm -hmm. You can put yourself into those shoes of the Daniels and the Josephs. And you can hear like, wow, God knew this was going to happen. And he cared so much for us that he told us ahead of time. Because if Travis, if it wasn't for that, then I would run from the mm-hmm. Advent movement. But if it wasn't for the prophetic guidance through the writings of Ellen White, I literally would run from the Advent movement because I would say it is chaotic, it has no future, and none of this makes sense. But because I feel like I've read all this a hundred years in advance and every little nuance and crazy thing, I'm like, man, God is the only one that can accurately predict the future. I literally believe that. That's the prophetic message of the Advent movement. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, this thing is divine. 
Right. I am going nowhere. I, there is nowhere else that I could go. Like the disciples said to Jesus, where else would I go? Like I can't in good conscience go anywhere else. I've seen too much. And that's where I'd say this. Many who are leaving are tempted to leave. My encouragement would be just make sure you've read everything you should because you may find out someone didn't tell you all the truth. That there may be more to what, what this what this movement has that you may not have been exposed to yet. And if you were, you start to unlock knowledge of why the John Harvey Kellogg's of the world were five years in advance of everything. Why literally they were given wealth of obscene amounts, not because of anything they did, because they said, I believe God speaks through certain people and I listen to what they say. That's the same thing today. We could be the, we could be the richest people on the planet if we just applied the principles that were given to us as it relates with health food. I mean, health food companies in this world are raising mega bucks and it, it's nothing to be rich but there is a world who's dying that should be our motivation to help people so for me it's that gives me hope that when you know how a story ends it helps you go through the storm thanks for listening to this episode of adventology Our goal in this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know Him. Knowing Jesus is everything. That is why we spent the time today talking about remnant theology with Pastor Jared Thurman. But don't just take our word for it. Study it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com where you can get a transcript of today's episode along with any of the previous episodes we've already published. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Or better yet, leave a rating or review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. Alright, well I enjoyed our time together again today, and I look forward to seeing you back here on our next episode of Adventology. Until then, Maranatha. Maranatha.